so we're going to get started. We can't wait. Uh, hate to disrupt the fellowship and the conversation, but I want to get rolling. Any announcements this morning, prayer requests, anything that everybody needs to let us know what's going on, anything? All right, I don't see any hands. As people become, continue trickling in, just y'all keep in mind the, uh, this weather going through this, the area. I don't think it's supposed to be too terribly bad. I think maybe the worst part came through last night, but um, a lot of water on the roads, so we'll keep that in mind. Any, anything else? All right, well, let's start off class with a word of prayer. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for a day that you have blessed us with today. We're thankful for uh, the Lord's day that we could gather together as your family, as our Christian family, and be able to open up your word and study from it. And God, we're so thankful for this congregation, the Lord's church that meets at Dalreda. We're thankful for our elders that have seen fit to have this time of Bible study for us together collectively as a body of believers, and we're thankful for their leadership and so many other things here in this congregation to give us the guidance and the shepherding in the right direction to keep us on track and focused on your word. God, we ask you to, to please bless us here at Dalreda, bless those who are leading, bless those of us who teach, help us to be able to teach the words from your word, to be able to encourage one another to be able to build each other up and to help us to understand how we can more rightly live and, and be a good shining example to our communities and the world around us. We are grateful for the rain that you sent. We ask that you be with those who may be traveling or those who are driving through it. Please keep them safe. And Lord God, we are thankful most of all for Jesus. and We're thankful for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And it's through his name that we pray. Amen. We began last week a study of in Christ, the phrase used commonly in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that deals with looking at the position that Christians should be in, a position that Christians should take seriously, and more specifically, a position that gives us a sense of identity in many, many ways and respects, that as we study throughout this quarter, this phrase, this prepositional phrase of being in Christ, hopefully it's going to give us more of a sense of identity and of those things which we can look at in our lives and kind of really see that there is a difference between being in Christ and being out of Christ as we live our Christian lives. And so uh, that's what we want to look at as we move forward. Today I'm going to encourage you, if you would, to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Ephesians. We will be staked out there for the most part of our class period today and probably next week as well as we look at this book. If you do any kind of a study on uh, this phrase, in Christ, you're going to find that the book of Ephesians is more, most likely to be the book that you turn to to look at this phrase because it's used so many different times in this book alone by Paul. And so we're going to look at chapter 1, really the first about 14 verses this morning as we look at in Christ and the, the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. So if you want to turn there, you can. I want to start this morning with this question here on the screen, and it's going to be, uh, what is... Well, there it goes. What is a blessing? What is a blessing? You know, if you think about this word, it's a word that we toss around pretty frequently. Uh, even my own children, as they are, as we teach them to pray, the, one of the phrases they pick up on and that they use almost every time in their prayers is, thank, thank you, God, for all of our many blessings. And so it's one of those phrases that I think that they hear 
themselves from us probably. It's a term that you probably hear very frequently and often in prayers even in public. But what is a blessing? Before we get into the, the, the crux of this lesson, think about this question. What in fact is a blessing? Toss out some definitions and some thoughts that you have on what a blessing is. A benefit. A benefit. Thank you, George. Unmerited favor. Kind of like grace. Kind of like grace. It's something maybe we don't necessarily deserve, but we get. And so that kind of an idea of unmerited, we cannot, we cannot really earn it, but it's something that we're given. Um, Wayne? It is a blessing to be in Christ, no doubt. Um, it is something that we have been given freely. Anybody else? Any other thoughts about what a blessing is? All the good things. Now, all good things come from God. Great James chapter 1, of course, that, that God is good and all that is good comes from God. That's, that's a concept, biblical concept there about things that are good, all good things. To me, just in and of itself, blessing can be a very subjective term, can it? Now, I'm not talking about spiritual blessings. We're going to get, that's the next step in this process, in this mindset. But you think about what a blessing is. Something that I may perceive as being a blessing may not be very much of a blessing in your eyes, could it? I mean, a lot of us think that, you know, the welfare of our families, being able to provide for our families, having jobs, having, you know, monetary, material type things, that's a blessing that we usually think about. Uh, there are other things in life that we may call a blessing as well. Yes, ma'am. Get about. Yes, just mobility. Right. And, yeah, as we get older, it's funny how our blessings kind of change, isn't it? Um, Brother Verl, it may be a blessing for you to be able to get out of bed in the morning. You know, and I know you know you got the pain sometimes, and so it's, it's a blessing to you. It, sometimes it's maybe a blessing to me too. Sometimes I think it's a curse to get out of bed. Uh, i got so much on my plate to do in life that you kind of think, well, is that really much of a blessing? I'd rather stay in bed. Uh, but, you know, your perception of what a blessing is really kind of changes in life. But you're right. You know, some of those who think, okay, it's, it's a blessing for me to be able to, to get up and breathe in the morning. You know, how many of us kind of just go back and just think about how wonderful it is to have just those basic, you know, fundamental kind of things in our lives? And we, we say there are blessings in life. Brother Robert. Good. Sign of favor. Uh, and and uh, first of all, Brother Robert, it's good to see you this morning. Second of all, you're dead on with regard to a sign of favor. You know, you think about the idea of have, finding favor with God. And you go back and it really kind of becomes an Old Testament kind of principle. When you think about them handing down the blessings that they had from generation to generation, it wasn't just a mere inheritance. A lot of us, I think, get those two things kind of confused when you look at the Old Testament scriptures. You know, when Abraham was handing down a blessing to Isaac, it wasn't just his inheritance. That's not all that it entailed. The blessing was a favor, the, the, the sense of um, having something given to you because of of love or because of maybe the stature or the, the position that that person is in that they hand it down to you. Yes, ma'am. A blessing that it, we have, we are, we counted a blessing when we don't cause others to hurt or others to stumble or others to falter. You know, those all are, are very good things with regard to blessings. 
And you think about that in life, and again, things can be subjective. Some things can be a little bit more vague sometimes. But generally speaking, a blessing is, is considered a good thing. Much like Carol said earlier, those good things that we just are so thankful that we have as a part of our life. We consider those a blessing, and it may be a blessing today. It may not be so much of a blessing maybe later in life, but in the position that we are in, it is something that we consider to be good, something to be profitable, something that would, be, uh, something that would help our lives. And again, as Robert kind of gets, gets a little deeper when you think about the blessings in the Bible, when someone is blessed in the Bible, it gets a little bit deeper. It's not just good, but it's something that aligns them with having favor, whether it's with their father before them or whether it's maybe God blessing someone. And you see the idea and the concept, it's a little bit deeper, more richer, uh, the idea of, of God's blessing upon a person showing uh, special favor or some type of a benefit. Merriam-Webster defines blessing as a thing conducive to happiness or welfare. That's pretty good, I think, right? It's something that we consider that causes us to be happy. Nobody really used that term today, but it's, it's something that allows us to enjoy some sense of happiness. Another definition that I found was it a special favor, mercy, or benefit, a favor or gift bestowed by God, therefore bringing happiness. And again, happiness is brought into that. We usually, you know, equate blessings with happiness, with happiness. You look at the Beatitudes in Matthew, right, when Jesus is talking to them, you know, he talks about blessed are the poor in the spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. All those things that are, when you are blessed, again, you have a blessing. That's going to be the noun form there. You have a blessing when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because you are seeking and striving after those things bestowed by God, given by God as being beneficial to you. But ultimately, it's bringing about true happiness. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're going to obtain that happiness, those blessings in your life that are going to allow you to have that sense of, of fulfillment in your life compared to what you would have without those blessings. And when we pray, I think we acknowledge those things that we have blessings in life. Now, let's get a little deeper with regard to what we see. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul starts digging deep into what it means to be in Christ. And so what you see here in those two verses here, Paul says, "...there blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ." Just as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In Christ, in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. You know, you think about the blessings we have in this life, those things which we commonly thank God for on a daily basis. We wake up, we thank God for the, the, the new breath of air that we're able to breathe that morning, that we are able to awake and see another glorious day of his creation. For all that we can get out of bed, that we can enjoy time with our family, our friends, and those that we love, that we can come to worship on a Sunday morning. A lot of us count it as a blessing to be able to say, God, thank you for us to be able to enjoy a time of worship and study and fellowship together with those that we love in your body of Christ. We count those things as blessings. And what God says through Paul here to the Ephesian brethren is that when we are in Christ, 
It's not just those material, those physical things. It's not just taking that breath of fresh air. It's not just getting out of the bed in the morning. It's not just being able to assemble together with the brethren. But it's even deeper than that, that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. It goes beyond the material and the physical. But it gets much deeper into our lives, thinking about the implication that we have of being in this special place and position of being in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we're able to enjoy all those wonderful blessings that are spiritual in nature, that we would not experience otherwise. But that in Christ, we can experience all spiritual blessings. I want to look at that this morning. But before we get into that, the question that we really didn't discuss last week that I think is a threshold question for us is ultimately, what does it mean to be in Christ? In order to obtain and and to enjoy all of these spiritual blessings, the only place that we find these spiritual blessings are in Christ. You can't find them anywhere else. So all these blessings we're going to begin talking about today, and consequently, really throughout the rest of this quarter— are spiritual things, spiritual blessings, spiritual implications that only occur for, to those who are in Christ. So for us to, to receive the spiritual blessings, we must be in Christ where they are offered. So if we must be in Christ, the question comes to us, how do we get in Christ? So before we, we continue our study this morning, I thought it was very important to talk about how do you get into Christ How do you get in Christ? What do the scriptures talk about, about being in Christ? It's a special place of position, so how do we get there? And so when you look at the scriptures, there's three primary scriptures that I'd love to look at this morning. We can look at others as well. But these three scriptures, I think, lay the foundation and the understanding for us to understand what, how we are able to get into Christ. What does that mean? What process does that encourage and entail? And then we'll be able to, to jump from there. Is once we're in Christ, what spiritual blessings do we enjoy? So think about first and foremost here, Romans chapter 6. One of those scriptures that I always like to look at in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, uh, is a great passage of scripture talking about being in Christ and kind of telling us what it means or how do we get into Christ? What does that concept mean to us as Christians? And so you see, and it's on the screen for you, you're welcome to throw a uh, uh, turn over in your own Bibles there too, uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. But there that scripture says there, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become... United with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Paul does a very eloquent job in talking about the differences between two different natures of man. You have a sinful situation, you have a sinful position, and then you have that man who is freed from that sin. And Romans 6 is, I think, a good crux, a good turning point there, and the parallel, paralleling the, the decision-making from going from one position to another. And in fact, it uses the phrase, as I've highlighted up there, into Christ Jesus there, as you look at verse 3, talking about us who have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death. And so you see a transition there. You see a change in placement there that when a person is baptized, 
they transition from being part of uh, this world of sin, part of being uh, encapsulated by the, the, the bad choices that they've made over all their life. And, and when you are baptized, you really parallel the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that tells you kind of in your mind a conceptual idea as to why is baptism important. Because it's really the putting away of the old man, much like it is burying a man in a tomb, much like Christ himself put away that fleshly body whenever he was put into the tomb and he was buried and then he rose back up again. And when he rose again, he was a new creature. And you see the, the discussion talking about the fact that he was similar, but he wasn't the same. And so likewise, us who, when we become baptized, we, we have followed through that. We parallel that death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and by being baptized, we are baptized into Christ. That becomes the, the beginning point. That becomes the door that opens our lives into this special position and place with regard to Christ. Think also further, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I like this concept here when you think about being in Christ. It's kind of like an overcoat. You know, whenever you go out in the cold weather and you have this coat, you know, you, whenever you go out into the, the, this cold weather, you put in or you put on this coat and you, you, are, you become in this coat, right? And, and so you kind of see it as it kind of taking over and covering your body so that you become a person that is encapsulated within the protection and within the, the warmth and within uh, the security of this coat protecting you from those cold elements of the weather. To me, this kind of symbolism kind of comes to mind when I read this verse in Galatians chapter 3, because whenever you, uh, you, know, you, you become sons of God through faith, this active, this believing faith, this true living faith, you read about in James, faith without works is dead. It's not just the belief of God that Christ is uh, the Son of God. It's not just that alone. It is a living, active faith that Paul's talking about here. But as you are baptized, as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You have put on Christ. And Christ encapsulates you. He protects you. He is part of who you are at that, at that point. And you see the beginning, how you get into Christ here, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, says that when we are baptized, we put on Christ. That's how we get into Christ. And one more proof passage here that you think about in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. For in him, or in Christ, if you look at the context there, in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, for in Christ dwells of the, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were, uh, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, how do we get into Christ? Well, Paul says again in Colossians, your baptism, your baptism changes you. Your baptism is what transfers you from being this man of sin to being a man of faith. Because your active, living, obedient faith has caused you to change your life to make sure you now conform to him. It's very similar to the circumcision of the Old Testament. 
whenever a, a person wanted to be associated with God's people, Israel, right? The Jews, what did they have to do? They actually had to be circumcised. It didn't matter how old they were or how young they were. If they wanted to be a part of the people, that circumcision became that mark of oneness with God's people. And very similarly with us as Christians, our baptism, as Paul parallels here, becomes that mark, that signifying uh, act that transfers us into this special relationship of God or with God and allows us to enjoy all the wonderful benefits that are part of being in Christ. Our baptism puts us into Christ. And so as you think about the transition, as you think about the change in placement, uh, hopefully we can understand that by obediently following Christ and doing those things which we're supposed to, and being baptized, this dying or crucifying of the old man is put there aside, and we have this new man raised in the newness of life, as, as Romans 6 talks about. That we rise up and we are now in Christ, in our lives. And so by being in Christ, we're able to enjoy all the wonderful things, especially the spiritual blessings that are a part of being in Christ. And that's really what Paul's outlining for the Ephesian people and the brethren in Ephesus. And Ephesians starting in chapter 1 there in verses 3 and 4, talking about the idea that, that God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who blesses us. He blesses us, though, with all spiritual blessings to those who are in Christ Jesus. So Paul's telling you, as brethren of the Lord's church, as God's family, as God's children, as we'll talk about there's a designation later on as being God's children, you enjoy spiritual blessings that are found nowhere else. But it is in Christ we have these spiritual blessings from the heavenly places that are in Christ Jesus. So think about these spiritual blessings this morning as we move on. Any comments before we move on into the spiritual blessings found in Christ this morning? I think it was important to kind of go over that. I really had hoped to do it last week, but I didn't have time to. Uh, but think about here, as we look in, in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul begins listing for us at least seven different spiritual blessings here in this passage. And as we complete the class this morning, I want to try and get through these seven, and then next week we'll pick up and, and do a little bit of an overview of the book of Ephesians and look at some of the other ones found in the book. Some of the spiritual blessings that we as Christians are able to enjoy because we're in Christ. And so look real quickly with me. These spiritual blessings are found throughout, as I said, the rest of these 14 verses here in Ephesians chapter 1. So I want to just start numbering them if we can and go through them. Number one, spiritual blessing that we enjoy by being in Christ, is the idea and concept that God chooses us. God chooses us. He chose us. In fact, the past tense here is the idea that God actually already chose us before the foundations of the world. Look in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself. You know, think about the idea of choosing beforehand. God made this choice before we breathed for the first time. He made this choice that he would uh, affiliate himself to those who chose him at the very outset of creation. You look back at, at Adam and Eve, and you really even see this as well. 
I mean, he chose Adam and Eve from the very beginning. Or he created them. They were the first ones created in his scripture. You see, he walked along with them. He chose to be among them. He chose to have them as his people. He chose to love them. He chose them to, to be a part of who he was. And even when they faltered, even when they failed, you see the idea that God chooses those who choose him. He had this plan, this, this, this ultimate uh, salvation that was mapped out for us because he knew in the end that, that we would probably falter and fail. And he knew in his infinite knowledge and wisdom that, that man would not be perfect. And so God chose us in him from the outset and the beginning of creation. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And, and in fact, these blessings, these divine blessings don't come to us by chance, but, but by a divine plan and purpose. Getting into Christ, being a part of in him, being a part of Christ, was not an afterthought. It wasn't like an oops, you know, I guess they messed up, so therefore, you know, I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and try and have some alternate plan or strategy. No, it was a plan from the beginning. It was a plan from the very beginning. To know that, in fact, when, when man would falter and fail, those who chose to be a part of him would still be very welcomed home. To me, choosing something is, is very interesting, and it really complies and goes hand-in-hand hand with the next point, as we'll get into a second here. But, but you know, it's, it's one of those things as the idea of the deliverance of someone who you love so very much. You know, and there are stories in the real world that would parallel this from, you know, a child who falls down into a well. And so that, that parent does everything within their power to be able to reach out to them and to bring them back from that pitfall of, of their life. To save them and to give them a second chance at, at living life instead of just giving up on them as they have fallen down. But you see, the parent didn't just choose that at that very moment, did they? No. See, a parent should choose, at least I think a good parent would, even from the beginning of life and the creation of that life, you realize that when you choose to have a child, you choose to love them and to care for them. You, you make that choice, you make that choice at the very outset. And then come what may, that choice does not change, that choice does not deter. And like that prodigal son's father, we are always there on the front porch looking afar, hoping our child will come back because we are doing everything we can under our power and control for them. Some of y'all may have a real personal experience in your lives for that. Uh, my, my oldest turns nine today. Uh, and we've been reflecting this morning on her birth and the, her first birthday and all those memories that you have when you're a parent. Y'all know what I'm saying. If you've been a parent, you just can't help but have this wash, you know, over you in that, that day thinking about the, how, how nine years flown by. But what you realize is that you made this choice long, long time ago to love them even before they have grown up and before they have become the, the young lady or the young man that they, they become. As a parent, you make that choice as a foundation at the beginning, at the outset, even really before that relationship is fully formed. You make that choice. And God chose us, and spiritually speaking, He knew who we were going to be even before we were. And He chose us. So that when we came home to him, when we chose to be a part of him, he always had that decision made up from the beginning. From the foundation of the world, he had chosen us 
and he would deliver us in any way, form, or fashion that he could. God chose us, and he planned that his will would bring about these things. He said, hey, the the people that will accept my son will be accepted by me. He chose us. He chose individuals, not necessarily nations. He he wants us as individual souls and individual creations for him to to be back with him and united with him. He's going to accept us on our own obedience, not that of another person, but he's chosen us so that when we are with Christ, when we are in him, when we are in Christ, God says we are together. The love of Christ has made it possible for us to be forgiven or blameless, not necessarily sinless, but forgiven and blameless before God. And God made that choice from the very beginning. And you know what? Those who are outside of Christ don't enjoy this same benefit. It's a spiritual blessing. It is something that should make us all happy. It should make us something uh, to understand that we have certain favor with God. Those definitions we talked about, about what a blessing is, the spiritual blessing of being chosen by God through our obedience should make us all happy and understand that it's only when we are in Him, what Ephesians says, when we are in Him, can we enjoy this wonderful blessing. Well, let's move on. I could spend all day. Again, this one I think dovetails real nicely with this. And Paul goes on to talk about the fact that not only were we chosen, but he, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. I have a, a brother adopted. Y'all don't probably know because he's kind of, I would say, AWOL, so, so to speak, with regard to our family. He, he has chosen himself not to be a part of our family uh, for many years, and, and sadly enough, but we, I have an adopted brother that I, has been with us since uh, my memory, and uh, he was always a part of our family. My mom and dad uh, fostered children, and they would bring children in, you know, somewhat on a regular basis, and, and uh, they would have, you know, one for a, a period of time, then obviously if they, was, they were placed with somebody else, and they were placed with them, and Brian came to our family, and uh, ultimately, through the court system and other things, the Unfortunately, his, his parents just really were not equipped at that point in time to take care of him. And so the courts took custody away from them and ultimately awarded him to the state. And then ultimately, finally, he was adopted by our family. And adoption to me is a very interesting concept. And I know some in here that have been very uh, affected or impacted by adoption. It's a very real part of lives. And I know Julie and David are one, and Stacy and Mark are, are another couple in this. And there are several others I know that have experienced the idea and concept of adoption. And what I love about the concept of adoption is the fact that it's not just God chose us, but he's, he's got this, this idea of, of adoption is the idea of acceptance in our lives. And spiritually speaking, when you think about being adopted as a child of God, it is being brought into a fold, a spiritual connection with God who loves us so much and has done all these things for us, has given up his own son for us so that we could be united together as a family. And you think about all the rigmarole that goes on in this real world with regard to adoption. You go through court hearings, you pay a lot of money, uh, you know, all those kind of things with regard to adoption. I mean, it's not an easy process at all. If you talk to anybody who's affected, who's been a, a part of adoption, you're going to get that from them. It's not an easy battle, okay, at all. And some circumstances even make it worse than others. But what those parents will always tell you is that I chose that child. I wanted that child to be in our family. I will do anything. I would do anything to have them a part of that family. 
And then you think about how that relates to God. And so those of you who have been affected by adoption, this verse probably rings true more than anybody else. And, 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 and here Paul tells us that, there's a, that God ordained before. He foreordained, as some scriptures use this word here in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He foreordained us unto adoption as sons. The only way, of course, that we can become sons of God is by being in Christ Jesus. By, by Christ Jesus and his actions and what he did for us, that's the only pathway to adoption that we have. Without that pathway, there's no way we would ever be considered sons or daughters of God. And so as we, being children of God, we realize that that was a very precious example and precious sacrifice for us. Paul talks about this over in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, another passage talking about adoption. It says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When Jesus said back in John 14, 16, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father yet through me. And so when you think about this concept of being adopted by God as his children through Christ Jesus, it should give you special significance. Not just a blessing here materially, not just something that we can think of on a daily basis, but spiritually speaking, the idea that God gave up his own son to give us a pathway, a passageway to being adopted and being a part of his true family should give us a wonderful feeling of emotion and happiness in our life. Brother Robert. You know, you think about the spiritual blessing of Christ coming, and you're right. It's through Christ that blessing comes. God has chosen us. And I love that concept. It's a great concept. Thank, for, thank you for bringing that out. The idea, we know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. One of the you know, best loved, most quoted passages, probably most misconstrued at some points as well. But that concept of the, the only begotten son is the idea that, that he is the one who's the only one that's truly connected and related to God. Can I think of that concept? I mean, we're, we're, we are created by God. God being our creator and our, our God is, you know, we have this some type of a relationship. It's really more spiritual than it is anything of a flesh or, or relational. Not with Jesus. Jesus was begotten of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit caused him to be conceived in, inside of Mary. And I know that, that concept just blows my mind. It probably blows your mind too, and I don't want to dig into that too much. Uh, with regard to this, the combination of the spiritual and the physical. But you think about that. The only begotten of God gave up his life. So those of us who were not begotten of God could be adopted so that we felt that we were. So we felt that we were. You know, in, in this world where we may not have belonged, in, in, a, in a situation and circumstances and relationships that maybe aren't the best for us in our lives, God gave us a chance to reconcile and to bring about a familial relationship with him because he gave up his true, one, living, only son for us, for the gene.
Excellent point. It is an invitation for adoption, right? It's not automatic. It's not automatic. And very interestingly, compared to the, the, the most adoptions of this world, you know, when you think of most adoptions, you're usually in your mind, now this isn't always the case, but you usually think of adoption of like little children, small children. Uh, you think of like little Ava. When, when David and Julie adopted Ava, Ava really didn't have a choice to the most, I mean, they, they had another lawyer to speak on her behalf and her interests. You had a judge that ultimately made the ruling and determination. Ava's so little, she couldn't say yes or no to J- David and Julie, Okay. Uh, she couldn't, she didn't have a choice. The courts made that decision for her. When my brother was adopted, he was little. He was, what was he, five or six? I don't remember. Seven, okay. He was seven. So, you know, he may have been able to verbalize a yes or a no at that point in time. I don't know. But if, from what I remember, and mom's in here, she'll correct me probably if I'm wrong, but I remember that the, the judge asked him if he wanted to be a part of this family. And he said yes. He said yes. He was old enough to have somewhat of a verbal ability to say, yeah, I want to be a cackleman. I'm not sure many of y'all would say that probably, but uh, he did. He did. Adoption with regard to being a son or a daughter, a child of God, is an option for us. We get to say yes or no. We get to make that choice. But you know, with God, the spiritual blessing is that that offer is always open. That door is always open for us to be able to walk through and to make that choice to be adopted children of God. It's God's plan. It's his pleasure. It's ultimately his will that we are adopted and become part of his family and that we grow together with him spiritually. And you can't come to God unless it's through Christ. And in Christ, we have this spiritual blessing that we can enjoy the adoption of as children of God. I mean, how awesome is that? You know, sometimes we feel like growing up, you know, we may not feel like we always fit in or we don't belong somewhere. We don't have this huge group of friends or, you know, you hear a lot of teenagers go through these dilemmas in their lives, trying to figure out who they are and what they believe and where they fit in in life. And it's constant for some of us, even as we go through life, you hear of of adults living with depression in life because they just are, are struggling with trying to figure out do they belong and what are they dealing with and how does it all fit together? And God tells us the solution here is in Christ, in Christ, we belong. And we belong with Him. I can come through Christ to the Father only as He has predetermined. We will come to God in a way that it will be praise and the glory of His grace. We will humble ourselves to what God wants because we have chosen to be a part of his family and be obedient to his commands. When we praise God, it is a spiritual blessing that we are able to do because we praise the Father in heaven who has given all things up for us so that we can be a part of his spiritual family. In Christ, the spiritual blessings that we enjoy is that God adopted us. Number three, God bestowed grace upon us. Look in verses 6 through 8. It says, To the praise and the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, that be in Christ. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In Christ, God bestows His grace Upon us. Now, there's always that free offer of grace. And grace, again, is one of those concepts that I think are tossed around too flippantly. 
when you think about what grace is and, and the fact that we're just going to rely on God's grace to do this and God's grace to do that. Well, what Paul's telling us in Ephesians is that God bestows that grace on those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the offer of grace is always there. It is a free offering to all. But God bestows that on us when we become his children, when we come into contact with his son's blood. When we are in Christ Jesus, we are able to experience that grace. It's not just a little bit of grace. Not just a little bit. If you go on here, in verse 70, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Have you ever lavished anything? Sometimes I do homemade strawberry jam. Burl, I, I love some, my mama's freezer strawberry jam. Love it. And there's sometimes when I lavish that on my biscuits. It's awesome on a buttered biscuit, right? Lavish it. You just pile it on there, right? Let it drip off the sides. It just overflow. Kind of reminds me of the idea in, in Psalms where it talks about my cup runneth over. You know, because of all that, that God has done for us. You know, Psalm 23, one of the most glorious psalms, talking about God being our shepherd and loving us and caring for us, tending for us, leading us behind, beside still waters. And my cup runneth over. Why? Because God looks at us and says, when you are in my son, when you are a part of me, when you are a part of my family, I'm going to heap it on top of you. I'm going to heap it. I'm going to lavish my grace upon you. That unmerited favor, those things which we cannot earn, those things which we don't deserve, right? I mean, which of us deserve redemption? I don't. I venture to guess you probably feel like you don't as well. But God lavishes that grace upon us, bestows it upon us, those of us who are in Him. God's grace to the saved is to excite thankfulness and praise to him. It points out that what God has done for us is so wonderful, so rich, so loving, that it's hard for us to even fathom it. It's almost, almost, almost unbelievable that God would send his son for us. That's what grace really should be to us. We don't deserve it. But yet God offers it. And then when we accept his offer, when we become in Christ, Paul tells us here that God bestows that grace upon us. That through the redemption that we enjoy, that grace lavishly given to us to the point that it's overflowing. We don't deserve it. Brother Robert. And you think of those rich benefits when you think of lavish, right? Sometimes you think of lavish as being the, the ornate, the ornate decor of a palace. It's lavishly decorated. But when you think about our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives are lavishly blessed because of this grace. This grace bestowed upon us, as Robert just said, 
it's not just grace personified through Christ, but it's the idea that grace that, that is bestowed upon us continues to, to give us so many different things. It gives us that fellowship with one another. It gives us that forgiveness of sins. All those things which we cannot earn, God pours out upon us. Those things which we do not deserve, God gives to us because we're in Christ. And so we're able to enjoy all those things, all those blessings, because the grace of God is poured out upon us. Quickly, let's move on to number four. Number four, we have redemption. We've already read this verse, and verse seven, the, the bell's probably going to ring, so we're not going to get through all seven of these tonight but, or today. But look there in verse seven there. We, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Redemption. You ever redeemed a coupon? Yeah, you, you turn that coupon, Doug's a coupon fiend, right? I mean, you ask him about coupons, he, yeah, Jody's shaking her head, yeah. Doug likes a good coupon, all right? Now, he's got a Jack's coupon for a free Big Jack combo. I mean, he's going to use that up in a heartbeat, right? And what's he going to do? He's going to go and turn that into Jack's and say, I've got this coupon here. I've got this that I need to, uh, to redeem because there's value to it. And so he's going to turn that coupon in. There's no cash value, I know, but there's value because you're going to get a, you're going to get a, a Big Jack combo. There's going to be value to that in my tummy especially, you know. Uh, God has redeemed us because we have value. We have value. He sees in us something that he wants to gain possession for again. He once had it, but maybe he lost it because of our sin. It has, has fallen away. It has gone to the wayside. Maybe it's been lost. But God sees the value in us as souls. And, and, and once we become in Christ, he redeems us. To the point that he regains, he regains possession in exchange for the payment of that debt. You know, I can't get too much into this. I know the bell's already rung. But think about this as a spiritual blessing. Forgiveness is completely undeserved. We don't deserve it. We, we can't earn it. There's nothing that I could ever do to warrant someone saying, well, John deserves to be saved. It's not in our lives. But God has looked at us and has said, you know what? I'm going to buy back that which was lost. And as a spiritual blessing, I don't know how I could feel happier in life than to realize that my God thinks that I'm worth the blood of his own son. We're going to pick up here next week. Thank you all for your kind attention.